Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Uh, but we are going to be in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. And if you're taking notes, I hope you are. The title of the message today is A Prayer for Revival. A Prayer for Revival. Because that's what we're reading. We're reading a prayer by a prophet named Habakkuk. And a little bit of context. And we're going to go more in depth later during the message. But what I love about the book of Habakkuk, it is such an interesting book where it's not the usual where God gives a prophet a word and what we're reading is that prophet sharing that word with the people. What Habakkuk is, it's a dialogue between the prophet and God. For three chapters, what we're seeing is we have, we have front row seats to see God speaking, Habakkuk speaking to God and God speaking back. And there's a lot of tension in what Habakkuk is praying for and what he's needing for, the life that he's living. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of stress going on. It's very, very dark times for the people of Israel. Habakkuk has a bone to pick with God, but what we see here in chapter three is towards the end of all that, and we're gonna read more of it in, in, the, in the remainder of the message, but he comes to a conclusion that he needs to live by faith. And no matter what happens, he's gonna put his faith and trust and hope in God, and this is what he prays. Prayer of Habakkuk, starting in verse one, the prophet, according to Shagionoth, verse two says this, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. Can we say that together? Revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. It's two verses, but there is a lot to unpack here. The, the basis of this prayer is Habakkuk is literally asking God, God, I remember when I was a young Israelite, when I was a young boy, and I would hear the stories of Moses and Joshua. Can you revive those things? Can you do those for the people now? Can you do it in my time? Make it known. Make it obvious. Make it so people know that it's nobody else but you, God. And then he's saying, God, in your wrath and your judgment, can you still show us mercy and love towards your people? And I think at the end of this, I pray that this would be the prayer that we would pray for our year and for the rest of our lives, making sure that by faith we believe that God is good all the time. And so let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. God, that in this place we can gather together and we can read your word, we can learn from your word, and you can speak to us, God. We really believe today, God, that your word is the voice of you, God. You're speaking, you're, you're moving. We just pray today, God, that your word says that where two or more are gathered, there you'll be in the midst. God, people would sense your presence. They wouldn't just hear a man on a microphone, but they would sense you speaking to them, God, that you want to help them. You want to love them. You want to give them plans and purposes. You want to help them with what they're going through, God, that you have not abandoned your people. And I just pray for anybody here that doesn't know you, God. They've never put a relationship with you. They've never made a decision to follow after you. I pray that today would be the day that their life changes forever. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you. To name we pray. Amen and amen. So I was with my wife the other day, we're watching TV, just hanging at the house, and I asked her this question. I was like, imagine living during a time period where there was no electricity. I just thought about that. I was like, man, think about how, how drastic our lives would change. And, and maybe you're like me, I'm pro like the good old days, no technology, no social media, like, like I'm all for that. But we're talking about the 1900s. 
where the most exciting thing to do was to churn butter. Like that was it. That's all you could do. That's look at the sky, talk about, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what you would do. That's how crazy it would be to have no electricity. Like our majority of our lives would change, especially if our lives are all on our phone, emails, text messaging, like it'd be no, no TV, nothing. We, our lives, our, our homes, our jobs, and our livelihood would change forever. Why? Because electricity, if you were to put electricity in a definition, would be it's an invisible power that gives us visible privileges. Right? We can't see it, but we see the fruit of it. We see the result of it when it works. It, it gives power to our TVs. It gives us power to our, our phone chargers. It gives us power to our air fryers. Is that not the greatest invention ever? <laughs> I think I love my air fryer more than my dog. I don't know. It's like I would trade one. I'll trade my dog for another air fryer. It's that good. It's incredible. It's amazing. But all those things, all those products need electricity. But here's the thing. The, the thing with electricity is that though there may be electricity, there has to be a switch that is flipped in order for there to be a connection, in order for there to be power in these products working. Without a connection, without electricity, without power, none of these things can work. And here's what I believe. I think some of us, this could be a picture, an illustration for our very lives. I think a lot of us, if we could be honest, we're trying to flip the switch on our lives. We're trying to change our lives. We're trying to improve our lives, but we have no connection to the person who has the power to do so. We have no electricity in our lives. We have no power in our lives. We have no connection. And right now our lives are full of dead things. We have a dead life. We have dead marriages. We have dead passion. We have dead faith. We have dead hope. And we feel like there's no hope for us. But the good news today, as you walk into church, is that God wants to resuscitate your life. That God wants to revive the things that were dead in your life. He wants to revive the things that are no longer working and improve them and make them better and make them work in his purpose and his plan. God wants to bring revival to your life. Like revival is not something that, that we just dream of and hope it happens. God wants to bring it. He wants to have you know that revival is something he wants to give you in your life. He doesn't want you to stay dead. And here's the thing. We can, be ha we can have connection with God. But the problem is we can make it difficult. Look, there's a promise from God. James 4, 8 says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. That's God literally promising. If you choose to connect to me and my word and to serve my church and to go after my purpose and believe in godly values and honor me, I will be connected to you. But how many times do we make that difficult? It's not God that's disconnected. It's we that can be disconnected. And I think if we could be honest, I, don't, I wouldn't say there's a far-fetched idea to think that a lot of us want to be connected to God. I would say a lot of us want to be happy. We want to be successful. We want to have things go our way. We want to have good marriages. We want to have good families. We want to be successful. We want to go after our dreams. We want to make money. We want to do all these things in life. And what I really believe we're saying is we want revival. Now, we may not use that vernacular or we may not even know that's what we want, but deep down inside, that's what we want. Look at revival defined. Revival is an improvement in the condition or strength of something or an instance of something becoming popular, active, or important again. Come on, you, you're telling me you don't want revival? You're telling me that you want to improve your marriage? You, want to, you don't want to strengthen your relationship with your kids? You don't, you don't want to make eating at the table without headphones popular again? You don't want to, don't want to make sure that godly values are, are in our politics again? Like what, like, what are the things that you're hoping for? What you're hoping for is revival. Yeah. 
Like I wanna have active faith. I wanna be actively in my word. I wanna work on my character defects. I wanna get better. I don't wanna stay the same. I want revival. We all want it whether we know it or not, but here's the problem. The problem is, as human beings, we rely more on our own strength more than God's spirit. Like, and this is, this is natural. This is the, the fallacy of human beings. We just, we know God is good. It can make sense to us. We can read our Bibles, but something in us and our DNA just has like this rebellious, I gotta do things my own way. I, I, want, I, I think my plan is better. And so instead of trusting and having faith in God, you know what we do? We try to manufacture a fake revival. We try, to, we try to create it ourselves. It's like, like and, and our heart might be in the right place. Like, I want to make sure my family is, is tight-knit and we're, we're doing good. I want to make sure my marriage is good. I want to make sure I'm healthy. And you have all these dreams and goals and it starts to pile up because you're doing it in your, you're putting all those things on your shoulders and your plans and the way you think. And can we be honest? When we follow that life cycle, isn't it stressful? Like it's hard and life is busy and sometimes you get caught into that rhythm and you're like, how am I so stressed? How am I so beat up? How do I feel so tired? It's because we've been trying to do things in our own strength. Stressed, tired. We're, we're, we're hoping that, that we can fix our own problems when in reality we can't. And here's the thing, well, saying, Phil, well, do I need God? He's the only power I need to be healthy. It's like, no, you could get a bunch of vegetables, put it in a blender and drink that and be healthy, that's fine but what's not gonna change is a sin in your heart. Like nothing, nothing, nothing will get rid of that. Only God can change that. You can be a nice person, you can give to charity, you can do all the things you think will change your heart, but that sin can only be paid by the blood of Jesus and Jesus alone. That's it. And so you can keep on having goals, you can keep on going to the gym, you can keep on having money, that's all great. I hope you have success, but it will not remove the sin in your life. And you're gonna keep wondering, why do I feel like there's something missing? Because you're trying to do something you can't do. Can't save yourself, only God through Jesus Christ's son can do that. Another thing that we do, we have false expectations of what revival looks like. Like if you grew up in church, revival, that's a, I mean, you go into a revival night, you're gonna walk into something. I don't know what, but it's gonna be something. You don't know what, people are doing backflips, cartwheels, like it's, because that's, that's our, 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 the stigma is revival is like this. It is a expectation where, where everybody in the church is getting their prayers answered and there's miracles happening everywhere. And, and that might very well be the case, that God is moving, that God is doing incredible things supernaturally, but the reality is sometimes revival isn't going to be something that is full of hype and, ex, and excitement all the time. And what we do is we, we go, God, if I put my relationship with you, if I put my life in your hands, I'm expecting all my prayers to be answered. I want my family saved. I want everybody saved. I want my sicknesses gone. All that stuff taken care of today, this week. I want a streak of W's. And that's not how it works. I mean, God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. But most of the case, getting revival, seeing revival is a process. And it's not a process that you would think. Like for example, I really believe the, pro the, the process of revival looks like this, that you have a sense for the presence of God, that you're so close to God that you could just sense his presence in your home, at church, in your study time, or there's an unusual interest for the things of God. You once had no interest in church, now you love church and you gotta be here and you gotta be in a connect group. It's unusual, it's like, why am I feeling like this? Why do I wanna read my Bible? Why do I wanna listen to worship music over this music? It's, there's an, God is doing something, he's processing things in your life. 
There's an urgency with getting right with God. It's like, I can't do the same things I used to do anymore because I want to be close with God. And so I got to cut things out. I got to get rid of some temptations. I got to focus on living holy. And if we put false expectations on revival, we'll miss out on the process of God wanting to change our lives. And we're going to be bitter. We're going to be upset because we expect God to do something that he is not probably going to do. And that's okay. That's maturity. That's growth. That's strengthening your faith. I love this quote by Brian Edwards. It says this, in revival, the minds of people are concentrated upon the things of eternity and there's an awareness that nothing else really matters. If you want to experience revival, you have to have a laser focus on the things of God. Not that you ignore your family, not that you ignore your job, not that you don't ignore anything else, but you focus on God believing that all those other things are going to be helped, are going to be blessed because I'm living right with God and I'm going after his plans and his purposes and everything else will be an overflow of what God is doing in my life. That's where I want to be. I want to be so focused on God that nothing else matters. Not that I ignore those things, but I'm so in love with God's plan. You know, there's a New, New Testament example of this. Paul, the incredible apostle Paul, was preaching and healing people in Ephesus for, for years. And he was doing such an incredible work. Well, God was doing such an incredible work through him that word broke out. Like, man, we, like something's happening in Ephesus. There's, there's amazing things, stories, testimonies. And look what it says in Acts 19. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful Many people were confessing their, their wrongdoings. They're, they're sinning against God. They wanted to change their lives. And look how drastic this was. Look how radical this revival was. A number of them had been practicing sorcery, brought their incantation books, and burned them at the public bonfire. This wasn't a hidden revival. It was public. It was radical. It was crazy. It was like, what is God doing? Look at all these people bringing all these spell books, and look at all these santeros going over here. And like, like real change. Like, I don't know how, but something in them, God in them is like, hey, you need to change. And it makes sense to me. So I'm going to throw my books out. I'm going to stop listening to that music. I'm going to stop living in temptation. I'm going to stop going after drugs because God is doing, it doesn't make sense, but it's God. Because that's the thing. Revival doesn't make sense. Because that's what, in our mind, things have to make sense. Like, okay, if I want to have revival, I need to, A plus B equals revival. Throw it out the window. Because some of you, that's how you live your life. If I do this and this and this, I'll be a better husband. But the reality is we're sinners and we are not perfect. And so we're going to mess up in part A. That's why we need God's help. That when we get knocked down and we feel like we're being prideful, God says, hey, without me, it's going to be hard. But I'm here if you need me. And this is what's happening. I mean, people are throwing away their books. And the Bible says it was worth several million dollars. And so the message of the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Imagine if this happened in Miami. Imagine. Like, it just doesn't make sense what's happening at Calvary. Like, I don't know what's going on in that church, but people are getting saved. My cousin, he used to do drugs. He's free of it. He doesn't, I don't know what happened. My, my, my wife used to be this and that. Like, and you're just like, what is going on? It's revival. It's not supposed to make sense. That's why we're talking about by faith. Because faith is, is believing in things even when it doesn't make sense. And that's what's happening with Habakkuk. He's a prophet of God. I mean, he is sold out for God and doing all these things for God. And he has faith and he, and he trusts in God and he has a communication with God. He has a, he has a relationship with God, but 
But some doubt starts to creep in because some things that Habakkuk was hoping would happen, God says, no, I got another plan. And look how Habakkuk responds. So like I told you, this book is the, the book of Habakkuk. It's three chapters and it's literally a Q&A between God and Habakkuk. So, so Habakkuk has a issue with God. He's like, God, I love you, but I gotta, I gotta ask you this question. How, how, if you're good God, then why is there so much evil happening in the world? Anybody else, else asked that before? Habakkuk is, is asking the same thing some, some of us in our minds are thinking right now. Because in the, in the time of Habakkuk, it was, it was the Wild West. The people of God were taking advantage of the poor, like, like just, just abusing them, not treating them, not helping them, just taking advantage of them. There, there was also just idol worship and people were forgetting about God and people were doing whatever they want. And it was just evil, violence, corruption. It was a mess. And so Habakkuk's like, I need to talk to God about this because like, what is happening? And so he has what it says, the first complaint. And his first complaint is he goes, God, if, if, if you're not doing anything about the violence and justice and corruption, like, like, do you love your people? Like, why aren't you doing anything about this? And God, because he's good, he responds. He goes, Habakkuk, I'm aware of the evil going on, but he's going to have a plan for it. So Habakkuk's like, I want you to take care of this, God. I want you to fix your people, figure this out. Let's, let's get back on track and give him prophetic words and let's, let's help your people. And God's like, well, that's not what I have in mind. Because my people are a mess right now and they need to be judged. They need to be corrected. So what does he do? Because my plan, God to Habakkuk, is I'm going to send the Babylonians to judge you. And Habakkuk's like, what? The Babylonians are worse than us. They don't even like you, God. They hate you. They despise you. You're going to use them to teach us a lesson? They're going to kill us. They're going to hurt us. They're going to they're gonna pillage our like, villages. This is going to be a mess. Like, God, why are you doing it this way? Can we relate to Habakkuk? It's like, like I'd, if I was, I'd be like, what is, like, God, you don't love us. You're trying to kill us. Why would you send the Babylonians? What's your plan? What, 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 like, are we going to survive this? Are we going to be able to prophesy in the future? Is your people, is the, is the Jewish community going to survive this? Like, what's next, God? Got to give me more. Where are the breadcrumbs? Is there a message in this? I don't know. And he's confused, like some of us. Asking God, why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing that? Why am I hurting? Why am I struggling? God, if you love me, why, why, why? But look what he says to Habakkuk and look what he says to us in chapter two, verse four. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up and is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. It's the first time we see this statement in the Bible. Think about that. God, God goes to Habakkuk, I know that, that the Babylonians are bad people and they're prideful, but so are the Israelites that are supposed to worship me. But here's what you could do, Habakkuk. You can live by faith and know that I'm doing something for your good, even if it doesn't make sense. That's where faith comes in. That's all I'm telling you, Habakkuk. I'm not going to give you the answer that you're looking for. I'm not going to tell you the future. I'm not going to give you the play-by-play. All I'm going to have you do is trust that I'm good and believe that even though I'm sending the Babylonians, you're going to be okay. That's faith. That's hard. That's why faith is something we should talk about a lot more. Because we lack faith because sometimes... We get comfortable in our Christian life or we get comfortable with things going our way and being successful that we forget that if it wasn't for God, we wouldn't have any of those things. And it took faith in him to believe for the position you're in right now. So Habakkuk is like us, like, well, God, I don't know what's going to happen here. But that's the thing about true revival. 
True revival isn't living by faith when circumstances are good. True revival is when you have faith in spite of the circumstances. Like, in spite of this not making sense, I'm going to have faith because I know who God is. Like, what does 2 Corinthians 5, 7 say? We walk by faith and not by sight. So Habakkuk can't see Jack. He can't see anything other than possible terror. That's all he can see. But he doesn't live by sight. He lives by faith. So he goes, God, I can't see what you're trying to do. But I'm going to have faith because I know who you are, who your character is, how much you love me, how much you love your people, how you worked in the past, how you still want to help your people. That's where I'm going to have faith. I can't see it, but, but I believe, God, you're good. And if you're good, we're going to be okay. We're going to be fine. So I'm going to have faith. So how do you respond when God doesn't give you the answer you don't want? How do you respond when you don't get a glimpse of what's next? How do you respond when you have fear, when you're experiencing failure? How do you respond in spite of circumstances? That's the real test of maturity and faith. This is it right here. Like this is Christianity in a nutshell. Can you believe despite of, in spite of? Like can I believe in God in the good and in the bad times? And that's our faith journey until we see Jesus face to face. Like that's going to be our life. That's what we have to mature. That's what we have to get better at. That's what we have to study. That's what we need to get into our spirit. I think it starts by asking the right questions. Like some of us, we feel like we're in Habakkuk's shoes and we feel like Babylonians are at our doorstep. Whether it's a sickness, whether it's an issue, whether it's financial, whatever mental illness, I don't know what it is. But you feel like you have Babylonians pressing towards your life. The questions we need to ask is not how can I get out of this, is what can I get out of this? Like, what can I get out of this? And I know that seems cynical or that seems like, oh, Phil, you're downplaying. I'm not downplaying anything. I have a life too, and life is not perfect for me. I don't care what you think about pastors. My life is not perfect. And there's moments where I gotta be like, God, what are you doing in my life? Like, what are you trying to tell me here? Because this doesn't make sense. And I would rather escape this than embrace this. Like, I'd rather get out of here. I don't, want to, I don't want to deal with this. But that's not how we get stronger. And that's not how we get better as human beings, as Christ followers, as mothers and fathers, as husbands and wives, as cousins, as brothers. And like, that's not how we get better as people. There's got to be pressure. There's got to be things that confuse us that we are forced to go towards God and nothing else. We walk by faith, not by sight. And this is the prayer of Habakkuk. And here's what you need to know. This is good news, but it's also scary news. This is what you need to know about the book of Habakkuk and what you can learn in a sentence. That when you pray for revival, be prepared to respond. <laughs> Hear me? When you pray for what you've been praying for, to change, to, have that, to, to be healed, to get that new job, to, to, be better, uh, to, have better, uh, to be better with your character defects. I don't want to struggle with anger. I want to be more patient. God's going to answer. Look what it says in Matthew 7, 7. If we could put this up. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and a door will be opened to you. Here's the thing. God has answered your prayer, but you haven't answered his call yet. Your answer is, it's there. God is like, I'm ready. I'm ready to work. But are you going to respond to the revival I want to give you? 
That's the thing. A lot of us are praying and praying and praying. God, help me. God, change me. He's like, yeah, I've been telling you what you need to do. But you haven't answered. You haven't answered. I'm, 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 you've knocked and knocked. I've heard your knock a million times. And I love you and I want to help you. But I need you to respond to me. Can we get out of our comfort zones? Can we respond even when it doesn't make sense? Can you live by faith even through persecution, heartache, pain, and suffering and when life doesn't make sense? Because God has answered. God has answered you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But we haven't taken that step towards him, towards receiving that revival. I want to encourage you with this verse in Hebrews 10, 32. It says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remain faithful even though it means terrible suffering. Come on, can we remember how we had more faith when we raised our hand in a church service than we do now? Like, some of us got saved and we we're like, I'm throwing away all my music and all I'm gonna listen to is Toby Mac. That's it, that's all I'm gonna listen to. Toby Mac's greatest hits, Toby Mac in concert, Toby Mac live, because like we were like, I don't want anything to get between me and God. Because I have faith in Him. Like, I can't do the same things anymore. And I'm going to have a, I'm going to have all my Instagram, my Facebook is going to be all about Jesus, all about Calvary. I don't, I don't need to talk about anything else. We have more faith back then than we do now because we forget that Christianity is not easy and you're going to struggle. But look at you now. Look where you are. Some of you were addicted and you're no longer addicted. Some of you were single and you're no longer single. Some of you were struggling financially and you're no longer struggling financially. Remember when back then that God answered your prayer through that terrible suffering, through those dark days, through those storms. You're here, you're alive. And it's not because of you. It's because of God. I'm here today because of God, not because of me. And I have no problem saying with that because I know how messed up I am. It's because of God, the healing I've experienced, the things, the, the things God has saved me from. I'm not that smart. It's God's wisdom that saves my life. That's living by faith. Some of us need to remember those days that we said yes to Jesus, even though it is going to cost us our life or everything. And this is what true revival looks like. And there's three things I want to just tell you about true revival before you start praying about revival. And I hope it doesn't scare you. I hope it motivates you. Because though it may look scary on the surface, God is going to answer and God's going to do something good in your life. He's going to protect your family, protect your home. He's going to, I mean, we, the list can go on of the things in this word that God promises for you. But we got to get past the fear, the failures, and the faithlessness. And the first thing we see about true revival is that true revival is a work of God and God alone. That's it. So Habakkuk says, Lord, the things that you've done in the past, revive it. He says to revive it because Habakkuk knows what he's praying is for God to revive his work, not Habakkuk's work. Notice the prayer isn't, Lord, revive my work. It's revive your work. I mean, that sounds good and you can amen, that's great, but can we be honest? Some of us, we struggle with this. I struggle with this sometimes. It's like, God, you're good. Oh my goodness, man, you're awesome. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for all these things. God, I pray for your will to be done. But God, if you can, 
Or God, if you're thinking, I don't know if it's in your plans, but maybe throw this in there. That's not living by faith. We're getting in the way of God's best for our lives. And it's okay, it's natural, and God forgives us, and it's not like, like God's not gonna hear your prayers or anything like that, but we gotta be careful that we're not so focused on getting what we want and what we want that we forget that I don't want any of that. I want what God wants. And you know why that's so difficult? It's because of this fact right here. We know that when we pray for God's work in our life, it gets in the way of our wants. Like it's a dangerous prayer, like God, pray for your work to be done. But that means saying no to everything you really want. And here's the thing, sometimes if what you want lines up with scripture, God might give you that. But it's not gonna be all the time and it's not the main reason why we pray. It's we pray so we could put our alignment with God's plan at God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I want you to bring heaven down into my life, not the other way around. I want what you want for me, God, because it's, it's the best plan. It's the better plan. You know, if you're impatient enough, if you want to say, forget this advice and do your own thing, you can answer your own prayer request today. You know that? Just don't wait on God and just follow your urges. And just follow your instincts and do whatever you want. And, and, and God, don't worry, I, I, I'm going to get this prayer, God. I, I got you on this one. You can sit out. I got you. I'll take care of it. I promise you, I'm just being a servant of the Lord. You can answer your own prayer request, but I don't know if it was a prayer. It probably just been a wish because God was taken out of the equation. And so true revival is, God, what do you want? Not what I want. And so this is why you pray, God, revive your work, but it's okay to pray this too. Revive me. Not my work, revive me. Like, like, fix me, God, so I don't get in the way of what you want to do in my life. So I, I don't get in the way of my marriage. I don't get in the way of my job. I don't get in the way of, of, of you helping me and healing me. Revive me. Because sometimes to get out of the way of God's plan for our life, we have to check some things in our life. Like, how are we living? What are we doing? And there's some, here's some things you can check to see if you are getting in the way of God's plan for your life. Check your conduct. How are you living outside of church, not in church? Check your conversation. How are you speaking to people? How are you speaking to people that aren't Christians? How are you speaking to people that don't believe the same thing you do, that don't vote like you? How are you loving and talking to people? Check your communion. Are you in God's word? Are you, are you, are you in community with God or are you just coming to church? Check your circle. Who's around you? Who's praying for you? Who's encouraging you? Who's pushing you towards a life of godliness? Because if you are a Christian here today, or maybe you just got saved, or maybe you, you're, you're trying to get closer to God, if you're around other people that are not going in the same direction of you, it's easier to pull somebody down than it is push somebody forward. And you're going to get pulled on every single time. Check your circle. And that's what Habakkuk, is, it, the prayer that he's trying, the message of that prayer is, if we want revival in our lives, in our church, in our families, it begins with us making the hard choices to put away our wants and desires and to pick up what God wants for our lives. Second thing true revival is, true revival is evident. It's obvious. Like people can see that God is doing a work in your life. Like there's something different about you. You don't talk the same. You don't act the same. Your family is not as chaotic. You guys are way more peaceful. God is doing something. God is working. Man, you're, you're, doing, you're doing better handling your finances. You're not in debt anymore. Like something is doing it. Like it's not you, it's God. It's evident. There's revival happening in your life. And this is the revival that Habakkuk was longing for. He was tired of the darkness he was surrounded by. He was, he was tired of having no power, no connection to God, seeing his people wander. He was tired, so he prayed, God, make, your, make it known. Let people know this is from you, that you're trying to get our attention. You're trying to help us. You're trying to wake us up. 
because all of us are living a life doing our own thing and God is trying to say, hey, it's time to wake up. It's time to change your ways. It's time to surrender and get back in my path for your life. Because here's the thing, what Habakkuk was praying was that people wouldn't see revival as spiritual excitement only, only. Because spiritual excitement is not, it's not the main thing revival is. It's not the main thing it is. Here's what you need to know. Revival usually starts with a deep, deep cleansing of sin that is probably traumatic, not fun. And that's why a lot of us were like, Lord, send revival! But then in our hearts, we're like, no, don't send revival, please, because I know what that means. I want revival. I want, I want good things to happen. I want to be on fire for Jesus. But we pray not understanding that God is going to answer our prayers and he's going to cause some things in our life to die. Like God needs you to die to some sin in your life so you can live into revival. Like what do you need to die to today? Like, what is it? Is it drinking? Is it pornography? Is it, is it temptation? Is it, like, what do you need to die? Like, you need to kill it. And to help you, God wants to be a part of that. You don't have to do it on your own. Follow that same cycle, trying to figure out things your way. No, true revival is going to take some things dying in our life for us to live in true freedom and to live into that. The, the other side of our prayer request, I'm praying for this to happen, God. And when you trust God and when he answers, you'll be on the other side of my like, God, thank you. Because without you, I couldn't have done it. Amen. And now I'm clean. I'm, I'm free. I'm, I'm, I'm happier. I'm more joyful. It starts with making sure that you know that true revival is evident. And you'll know when God is doing something in your life. Because yeah. there'll be something different happening in your life that you've never experienced before, ever. Third and final thing is true revival is a work of mercy. What was the last thing that Habakkuk prayed to God? He said, in, in wrath, remember mercy. So what was Habakkuk doing there? What Habakkuk was doing was he was admitting that he, along with the Israelite people, deserve God's wrath. He's accepting something that some of us need to accept, that we are not as good as we think, that we are not as smart as we think, that we don't have it all together like we think, and that in reality, humans deserve the wrath of God to be judged by God because we're not good people. We live in a broken, evil world and sometimes we add to it because we're human and we're sinners and that's okay. But Habakkuk goes, God, in your wrath, I get it, I get it. You're gonna send the Babylonians. I may not like it, but don't forget mercy. Don't forget you're merciful, God. That's your care. You, 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 you show mercy to your people, people that are hurting, people that are struggling. You have mercy for them today. And what I love about it is, you see, Habakkuk concluded that this plan of God's, it was worth celebrating because suffering in the hands of a loving God can be used for ultimate good. You could suffer with God or you could suffer without God, but you're going to suffer in life. Suffering is going to find you. It's going to find you. You can't hide from it. But when it finds you, are you going to have God or are you going to be doing it on your own like you used to do, like you always do? Because this is why he's celebrating. He's like, God, I... We're going to suffer and it's not going to be fun, but we're going to, we're going to preach that righteousness by faith or living by faith is, is the way to go. And we're going to, we're going to believe that God, people are going to turn around and we're going to be okay. And so he's celebrating. He's excited. But look, I love the correlation between the book of Habakkuk and the story of Jesus. Because literally what we're seeing is Habakkuk almost tell us that there needs to be some bad things in our life in order for us 
to be saved. And I know it doesn't make sense, but really what I'm trying to say is that that's the message of the cross in a nutshell. What I'm saying is that the most vicious, horrible thing ever done in human history happened to be the very best thing that can happen for the world, for you and for me, because now our sins can be washed away and now we can be right with God, meaning Jesus is the mercy we do not deserve. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We don't deserve it because we're sinners and yet Jesus took our place. We were supposed to be on that cross. My sins were supposed to put me on that cross. I was supposed to die on that cross and I was supposed to experience eternity in a place I was not meant to go. But because God is merciful. And Habakkuk knew this in the Old Testament and we should know that he's merciful. So he says, Jesus says, hey, I don't want you to go down that path. You're not supposed to be in hell. You're not supposed to be living in sin. I have heaven for you. I have peace for you. I have salvation for you. So I'm gonna send Jesus and trade spots with you so you don't have to suffer, so you don't have to be judged, so you don't have to have pain. It's gonna be Jesus and Jesus alone. I'll finish with this, revival in the church. Revival is the church falling in love with Jesus all over again. Have we fallen out of love with Jesus? Have we gotten comfortable just coming to church and singing some songs but not really focusing on Jesus? Have we forgot to put Jesus at the center of our marriages, at the center of our homes? Because if we've done that, we will not experience revival. It won't happen. And you could pray and you could pray, but if Jesus is not in the equation, we're just throwing up wishes. It starts with us falling in love with Jesus. And by faith, I pray today, you would fall in love with Jesus for the first time or again today. Why don't we stand up to our feet as we wrap up service? And I don't know what your story is. I don't know what what you're asking revival for. I don't know what Babylonians are at your footstep or at your doorstep. I don't know what you're going through at all. I don't know your story, but I know God does. God knows it very, very well. And what he wants to tell all of us and tell you today is that it's going to be okay on the other side. But here's the thing. There's some of us that right now there's there is a separation between God and we can't feel revival, we can't sense real change is because we are still disconnected from God. What do I mean? What I mean is God cannot hang out with sin. You see, when you and I are born on this planet, on earth, we are born sinners. Like you and I, we're sinners. All of us are sinners and that's okay. But, but this, is, this is what's not okay. Is that you think you can do anything you want to remove that sin. You can't, you don't have the power, it's impossible. You can try all the days of your life, you can't it's it's literally impossible and God knows this so God God says I have a plan for my people mercy is going to come and it's going to start in the shape of a baby see God sent his son Jesus to earth to be born as a baby to to be fully human but he's also fully God so he experienced pain he experienced suffering he was betrayed all of our human traits Jesus felt them the human side of Jesus is something that makes him more, more relatable than any other being or deity that you want to throw your life at. It's G- Jesus is better because he knows what we've gone through. Born as a baby, grew up to be a man, starts his ministry, meaning he starts preaching and teaching and helping people, casting out demons. Like God, Jesus does incredible things, but that's not the main mission. The main mission is fixing that sin problem that we have. And so Jesus knows his time is up. He's with his disciples. The authorities come to arrest Jesus. Jesus didn't do anything because he's perfect. He didn't make mistakes. He didn't do no wrong. He didn't commit no crimes, but this is part of the plan. He gave up his life 
You know, it's crazy. Even when Jesus was tried for something he didn't do, the person trying him, Pilate, was like, why are we, why do you guys want to crucify this guy? I see nothing wrong with this man. Nobody could figure it out. But Jesus knew they don't need to figure anything out. I need to be on that cross. I don't need anything to get in the way. I need to get on that cross because if I don't get on that cross, then, then we're all in trouble. So Jesus is tried illegally. He was being tortured, humiliated, abandoned by his friends and family. He's put on that cross, hands nailed, feet nailed, kind of thorns put on his head to make fun of him, to mock him. And when he's on that cross, what he's thinking about is you and me, how we're not gonna have to suffer that. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus did all the work. He goes on that cross, he dies on that cross, they get his body, they put it in the tomb, and for three days, Jesus is dead. But the Bible tells him what we were singing today is that on the third day, he rose again. He defeated sin, he defeated death. He did it, it was Jesus. And this is the good news of the gospel. Guess what we have to do? All we have to do is believe and put our trust and faith and surrender our lives to him. It's free. Salvation for your sins is free. Jesus paid the price. So all you have to do, whether you want to or not, is surrender to him and say, Jesus, I'm all in. I believe. I, I want my life to change. I don't want to keep going down this path anymore. I want revival to start in my life today. With every eye closed, every head bowed. If that's you, you're saying, Phil, I need revival. I feel spiritually dead. I feel dead. I feel like nothing good is happening in my life. I feel like I'm a mess. I feel like it's dead end after dead end. I feel like I try one thing, it doesn't work. I feel like I try another thing, it doesn't work. I'm lost. I'm hopeless. I need the answer. And the answer you're looking for, my friend, is Jesus. And you can experience that today. With every eye closed, every head bowed. If that's you, you're saying, Phil, I want Jesus. I want to, I want to have forgiveness of my sins. I want to have a brand new beginning. I want a brand new start. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hands. I'm not going to put a mic in your face. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to see who I'm praying for. This is you and Jesus. One, two, three. Raise your hand if you want to accept Jesus for the first time. God bless you. 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 Incredible. You can put your hands down. Thank you so much. Hey, if you raise your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a repeat after me prayer. In Calvary, let's do this alongside of our brothers and sisters. Let's say this loud and proud. Listen to me, if you raise your hand, take this prayer seriously because your life is about to change forever. You're putting your hands in the Almighty God and that's the best place you can do it. So this prayer is powerful and I'm gonna help you and facilitate this prayer for you. It's a repeat after me prayer. It goes like this, Lord Jesus, I open up my heart, invite you inside to be my friend, to be my savior, to be my God. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I wanna follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I love you and I thank you. And everybody said, come on, can we put our hands together? It's the best decision ever. It's why we do church. It's why we follow Jesus to see others make that decision. Thank you, Arnold. Hey, if you raise your hand, First and foremost, we want to make this day special for you. And we got an amazing team at the Connect Tent right outside that has a gift for you. And we also know that we want to celebrate you, but we also know that you might be confused as to what you just did. You're like, what does it mean to be a Christian? What do I do next? That's okay. It's a it's a step-by-step -step journey. And we have this gift. Not only is it a free coffee voucher, a, a pen, a notebook, a tumbler, also, there's some goodies in there. There's also resources for you, like a free Bible that you can start to read, a gift from us to you. Listen, because of the generosity of the church, we give these out for free. So please take it, enjoy it. It's on us, no strings attached. 
You're not gonna owe us five bucks. Next time we see you, like take it, enjoy it, and be blessed by it. But church, for the rest of us, I pray that we would live by faith every single day. Don't be hard on yourself. Don't think you're a failure. You're human, it's all right. But if you get back up and you put your eyes on Jesus, that's the way you go. That's the way you get stronger. That's the way you focus on Him. And so as we leave the church, let's have the same amount of faith we do in this building out there. And let's believe God can do the miracles that we're praying for. Amen. Let me pray for your week and we'll worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the promises of your word, God. We pray for true revival to happen in the hearts of every single person here in this building. God, revive our church. Revive the connect groups. Revive our families. Revive our marriages. And help us to do the hard things that need to be done to experience your goodness. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. So let me pray. Amen. God bless you, church.